Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome David Grisman. David is a mandolin player known for his work with the David Grisman Quintet, Olden in the Way, Jerry Garcia, and more. So welcome, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Sam. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Thank you again for, for coming on with me. Well, thanks for having me. Well, there's a story that you, Jerry Garcia, and Tony Rice had a jam session together. You recorded it and left a tape out and ordered a pizza. The pizza man swiped the tape, came out as a bootleg, and it's now the pizza tapes. Is that like actually how the, the story went? Is that how the name came about? Not, uh, not quite. In fact, n nobody really, I don't really know what actually happened, but uh, I was making uh, an album with Tony Rice uh, called Tone Poems. Uh, about the sounds of various old uh, vintage guitars and mandolins. And uh, I invited Jerry over to meet Tony, and uh, he came over for two successive nights. And as soon as he showed up, we just started jamming and recorded it all. And um, I just, you know, I just figured it was worth the tape for sure, you know, get, get these two friends of mine that really never played together and uh, with all these great instruments lying around. So we had a good old time and I thought, well, maybe, you know, at some point I can use a, a track for some project. I, I didn't really record it to put it out, but uh, I made cassette tapes for uh, Tony and Jerry and uh, some they were 90 minute tapes and some point after this uh wbai in new york probably the biggest fm radio station in new york uh, got a hold of this tape and played the whole thing and then the next few years bootlegs started coming out people would come up to me after their gig and and asked me to sign these things, and I would just get pissed off. Uh, finally, a friend of mine, uh, Rob Bleedstein, uh, kept telling me I should put this out, I should put this out, because I had all the, uh, you know, the patter, all our uh, conversation. It was just very informal, you know. And uh, so finally, he, he brought me one of these bootlegs, and it sounded so terrible, uh, whoever made it. And I had these really great sounding master tapes, so I decided to put it out. And they were, I never really found out how that tape got on the radio, but one story that I heard was that Jerry Garcia left, had it on his kitchen counter, and a pizza delivery guy delivered a pizza and either swiped it or Jerry gave it to him. But that's just, but I thought that lent itself to uh, some creative packaging, such as a, uh, a uh, pizza CD. Mm -hmm. CD actually looks like a pizza, and then the the uh, cover looks like uh, one of those classic pizza delivery boxes. It's just my attempt at marketing <laughs> something that uh, instead of saying jam session. You know. Oh, it's it's totally cool. I remember like a year or so ago, my dad pulled it out from the CD rack, showed it to me. He goes like, this is some great guitar mandolin playing, played it for me. And I never like I never looked back since. It's been one of my favorites since then. I listened well, to it uh, this morning. <laughs> Are you hip to the the uh, extra large pizza? Yes, uh, yes. 
Yeah, we, uh, you know, Acoustic Disc is all digital label now. And uh, so I, you know, when the, I knew that there was 90 minutes of this stuff out there. Uh, and I, when I first decided to put it out, I, I kind of wrestled with the fact that, uh, well, a CD won't hold that much music and there was more music. And do I go large or, or small? And I decided to go uh, just fill up one CD with the best stuff or what I thought was the most appealing. Uh, but then, uh, when we sort of went digital with this music, you can put out any length uh, project. So I decided to just put the whole darn thing out. Oh yeah. Much, you know. Well, I mean, it, it's a it's a really great great jam session. Some great tapes on there. I I loved some of the the crazy cool covers you did on there, like "Knocking on Heaven's Door." That was a good one. There, there were all sorts. You you guys had some great stuff. Well, it just was very spontaneous, you know. We just think of tunes on the spot. Mm -hmm. I, I ever played. Oh, I know I never played that tune. Uh, yeah. Well, when you're doing these like jam sessions, do you like know? Can you feel when they're great? Yeah. Well, usually I like to, you know, I like to work on music, so I'm usually, you know, uh, it's not totally uh, spontaneous, uh, and you know it. But this was a special event, so it, it was kind of inspira inspirational. So it's kind of a unique happenstance. I I wouldn't really uh, know how to carry, you know, it, it's it's in its own space. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's some great music, and you, you, you're playing with some, some phenomenal people there, too. And I know you you've cited um a couple times one of your your greater musical influences well two of them were stefan grappelli and django reinhardt right yeah for sure yeah and you, you even got to play with stefan later on right yes i did uh it's one of the big uh musical blessings in my career uh yeah django and stefan met uh backstage when they were playing in a posh hotel lounge in paris in the early 30s as part of a, an orchestra and they uh stefan told me uh, you know uh string jazz really uh started in the 20s with uh eddie lang and joe venuti eddie lang was a great guitar player who more or less is the father of jazz guitar and joe venuti really is uh the pioneer of swing jazz fiddle violin and they uh, they made some incredible records in the late 20s and uh, Stefan Grappelli told me that he and Django Reinhardt were really trying to emulate them but they uh, put together a group called the Quintet of the Hot Club of France which had uh, Django was an amazing gypsy guitarist who had lost uh, the use of most of his fingers in a fire when he was 19 years old, but he's kind of came back with a vengeance. And uh, he had two rhythm guitar players, one of which was his brother, Joseph. And Stefan Grappelli was an amazing violin player, and they had a bass player. And uh, they wrote a lot of really cool instrumental pieces. And uh, uh, they made a bunch of records in Paris. Uh, 
30s and uh, their last session was in Rome in 1949. But yeah, they're two of my musical heroes and their and their songs, their 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 compositions are are really uh, as as powerful as the playing. Yeah, I, I was watching um a video uh last night with with you and Stefan. Um and there was just some fabulous stuff and the two of you worked so well together. Can you like tell me how how did you guys I guess move like pl- play music that way? How did you work together that well? Well, I was uh, he was one of my heroes and um I found out that he was still alive. Uh I discovered that uh Django and Stefan records uh, in the early 60s, as did Jerry Garcia. A lot of folks uh, got turned on to that music. And I didn't realize Stefan was still alive. Uh, Django died in 1953. But uh, Stefan actually was a great piano player. That was his first instrument. He used to play for the silent movies and just improvise to the images on the screen. But uh, uh, a guy named Diz Disley, another guitar player, and kind of, uh, I think he introduced the Beatles at uh, Albert Hall. Uh, he was kind of a fixture of the English music scene around uh, oh, the mid-60s. And he was a guitar player in the style of Django, and he convinced Stefan to uh, come back and play that music. Stefan had been working in the Hilton Hotel in the lounge playing piano every night. He was an amazing piano player. So so uh Diz Disley got uh, Stefan back in the you know string band business and uh they came to the United States in nineteen seventy six and they played the Great American Music Hall and I went down as a fan and uh had my mind blown and at the time I had just come out with my first quintet record and i gave him a copy but i don't i doubt if he ever listened to it um side note uh acoustic disc our uh music outlet uh we released a uh, a live recording from from those shows uh oh, wow. Stephen Kelly with the diz disley trio live at the great american music hall so uh, that was an amazing experience. And uh, a few years after that, 1978, I got hired to write music for a film called King of the Gypsies. And uh, not only was I going to write the music, but they wanted live musicians in the movie itself. So I had to, I was looking for a gypsy violin player. And one night the light bulb went off and I said, wow, Stefan Grappelli, you know, and uh, this uh, this was for Dino De Laurentiis was the well his son uh, Federico was the producer but they had a lot of money so I figured they could afford uh, to hire Stefan Grappelli they had never heard of him but fortunately Stefan was playing in New York uh, close to that time they went down and heard him and hired him and the first uh, so I was going to get to write me music and play with one of my heroes you know which is amazing and we got together on my birthday in 1978 and uh you know i was born in 1945 which made me 33 and 78 so i was kind of destined to be in the music 
the, the phonograph record business. Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, an important day for me. And I had been writing these uh, gypsy type tunes for us to play. And that was the beginning of it. And uh, I, I guess we hit it off personally and musically. And I uh, had a great time. And Stefan uh, invited me to sit in with him, uh, me and Tony Rice and members of my band. And ultimately, we had an opportunity to do a tour uh, with Stefan. And uh, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, we recorded three weeks of gigs, and we uh, put out a live record on Warner Brothers as well from that. Yeah, the, the music, I guess, reflects kind of your, your chemistry. I could tell, like, the second I heard it, like, wow, these guys, these guys are locked. They they got it. And something I, I noticed from you when you were um when when I watched these videos of you is you would like make eye contact with with all the players in your your band, like to to try to I don't know communicate. Is that how how you worked? I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I try. You know, um, I think it. You know, the big part of music for me is listening. And, uh, you know, the eye, eye contact is probably just a, you know, part of listening, you know, if you're mm -hmm. listening to somebody, you letting them know you're listening to them, or maybe you're letting them know that their turn next or whatever, you know, sometimes, it, you know, I developed some tricky arrangements over the years and, you know, kind of being the musical director, I, th I think you have to communicate with the people you're playing with yeah i i guess that would totally make sense um with with directing you gotta you gotta watch and figure out whatever whatever's going on and i know you did some stuff um not directing too right like you you played on two tracks from american beauty right what what was that experience like working with the grateful dead for ripple and well, friend was, of the devil yeah, that was an overdub i i was friends with jerry we met uh through our mutual love of bluegrass music at a country music park in West Grove, Pennsylvania in the summer of 1964. We were both there to hear Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, and we struck up a friendship. And I was visiting a friend in San Francisco in, uh, I think it was 19, yeah, 1969, uh, late summer, I think. And, and uh, I heard there was gonna be a softball game between the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Airplane. And uh, so we went to that game and I saw Jerry and he said, hey, we're making a record down at Wally Hyder's studio. Can you come down tomorrow and do some overdubs? So that that's how that happened. Oh, that yeah, that that's really cool. I guess you, you got to sit in on the, the Dead Airplane game and and play on some of the the most timeless dead like st studio recordings there are that that's totally cool well it was uh all uh you know happenstance really mm -hmm. but uh yeah a few years ago i was in starbucks and they they had a grateful dead uh starbucks put out like a two cd uh i guess sampler of the grateful dead and i was on the first track on side one and the last track on side two. Oh, that's and so cool. That you can guess which which tunes. Yep. Friend of the Devil and Ripple. Mm -hmm. 
So I also got the Grateful Dead their first national publicity in 1965 before they were even the Grateful Dead. They, they were called the Warlocks. Mm -hmm. You go back, there was a magazine called Sing Out. And I, when I went to uh, NYU in Greenwich Village in the early 60s, I, I worked for a guy named Israel Young who had an establishment called the Folklore Center. And uh, he wrote a monthly column for Sing Out magazine called Frets and Frails. And if you go back to September, October 65, you'll find me talking about the Warlocks to oh, Israel. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, that that's totally cool. And and you played um Friend of the Devil later on live with Jerry too, right? And well, on we studio. Recorded it, uh, you know, we've done a uh we did about 44 sessions in my basement studio in Mill Valley, California, uh over the course of about 5 years. So, um it was just uh it wasn't like we were had a schedule or anything, but we, you know, we would record uh, all kinds of tunes, and that was one of them. And that we put that out on the first CD that came out of, of those sessions. And uh, yeah, we used to we played it on the David Letterman show too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you you've played on all all sorts of music. I know bluegrass is some of your favorite, but you also have almost created the genre. Well, you have created the genre of dog music, right? Well, I, I never, you know, I don't know about creating a genre, you know, you got to have, uh, it seems like uh, good ideas, uh, several people usually have the same kind of idea, you know, at around the same time, it's sort of a movement, I guess, you know, there were a lot of us uh, young urban kids that got interested in what you would call roots music, you know, uh, in their early 60s even late 50s and uh, you know we started listening to uh, some uh, you know bluegrass music old what you'd call old time country music blues early blues jug band music all there was this wealth of american music and jazz too swing and uh we it was a bunch of like-minded young people that got interested in that music and uh, did various things with it uh, as they developed their own uh, musicianship, you know. So Jerry was one of those, and, you know, there were a bunch of us. Tony Rice came a little later, but, you know, there were some very talented musicians who had, uh, you know, would ultimately help uh, these forms of music e evolve a bit. So that's how how dog music came together, right? That that would do it. Uh, I would. I I initially uh, was really into bluegrass music. You know I, that that's what got me into playing the mandolin, and, mm -hmm. and I also had a a guru, a uh, man named Ralph Rinsler, who was a neighbor of mine in Passaic, New Jersey. Was a, a very exceptional mandolin player. He, he was in the first bluegrass band that was in New York City, and he was also a folklorist and it, like discovered Doc Watson. He, you know, did a lot of amazing things and lived four blocks away. And I was fortunate enough to um, have him take me under his wing 
and learned a lot of things and uh, got turned on to a lot of different kinds of music and then dove into it and just wanted to learn how to do that myself and went and got a mandolin and sought out uh, a lot of great players or or a few great players and and tried to learn how to play bluegrass and i i guess i did pretty good with that and uh but i was at a stage where i was trying to copy my heroes like bill monroe and at some point that became very frustrating because why am i doing this <laughs> bill monroe's out there being bill monroe why am i trying to be Bill Monroe. Unfortunately, something else crept into my musical psyche, and uh, I started writing tunes that were a little different and kept going with that. And people, uh, when they heard them, they, they dug them. I, I didn't really have much of a use for uh, a lot of mandolin tunes. You know, if you're in a bluegrass band, you get about one instrumental a night. If you're a mandolin picker, then the banjo player gets one. But uh, at some point, uh, I was collaborating with a, a violin player named Richard Green, and we discovered that we could have a band that played kind of bluegrass instruments but didn't sing. We just could play instrumental music, but we realized it had to. It couldn't all be just uh, hoedowns, you know, or fast bluegrass tunes. So. We learned some Duke Ellington, some Django and Stefan, and I started writing, as soon as I had this vehicle, I started writing more tunes, different kinds of tunes, and I just kept going with that for about 40 years. Wow, yeah, good, good for you for, for figuring out your own path, during your own, doing your own thing. That's yeah. that's so cool. <laughs> I well. Yeah, yeah, and I know you you um, you said you, you, do, you did bluegrass, you did this music, but one one other type of music that I know you've played a lot of, which has really interested me, is you've done a lot of Jewish songs. And as like a, a fellow Jewish person myself, I'm just curious, how did being Jewish affect your musical career? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure. The, you know, uh, I guess it was around 1964, 65, uh, a young man... Uh, named Andy Statman came to me for mandolin lessons, and he was uh, he was about 15 years old at the time. Very talented. Uh, it, basically, it was not very much I could teach him, but um, and we became friends. And and uh, Andy's an Orthodox Jew, and um, he he's an incredible musician. He also plays clarinet. Studied with one of the great masters of klezmer music dave Terrace. so uh and uh we made an album a long time ago andy's very uh improvisational i mean he's the probably the john coltrane of the mandolin and uh we when i left uh new york uh every once in a while i'd get come back and we'd get together and sometimes in the subway station we just pull out our mandolins and just start playing anything you know and uh it, it always blew our minds you know it was really we we thought it was the uh, great stuff so one year i flew andy out to san francisco and we recorded an album of this kind of stuff and then uh 
I don't know, some 10 years or more after that, we were talking about doing another collaboration and we decided to make an album of uh, traditional Jewish melodies of which Andy, he's really, I call him the rabbi. You know, he, he, I was just going along for the ride. A lot of this stuff, I've been fortunate enough to uh, have great collaborations where, you know, I get to play with an expert at something and, and they let me go along for the ride. So I got to give the credit for that to Andy. You know, I didn't uh, get deep into that music. I mean, the music is deep and, and, uh, but it's, uh, and there's an influence. And I mean, I've always liked, uh, remembered melodies from the synagogue and a lot of minor key things. I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's, uh, it's in my blood, a certain kind of music, you know, Eastern European roots are there. Uh, but I never, uh, I mean, it, it just sort of came out and I, uh, I've always, uh, you know, enjoyed uh, exploring different kinds of music if, if it was uh, a, a possibility. Mm -hmm. Well, but I'm not an expert on that. I couldn't have, taken myself on that trip i needed uh andy to do it uh and i did you know the same thing with uh some great italian musicians beppe gambetta and carlo anzo we made a record called traversata uh kind of the similar thing with italian music so i just wanted to record them and they just i guess they thought we'd, we'd sell more records if i was on it yeah, so so you it seems like you work well with with other people doing a bunch of cool stuff just just figuring it out as you go with with them, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I I've, I've done a lot of listening. See, I uh listen to all kinds of music. I have 30,003 songs on my iPhone. And uh I mean, everything from Mozart to uh Billie Holiday and uh the stanley brothers and duke ellington and you know all you know bela bartok i you know duke ellington once said there's only two kinds of music good and bad and uh <laughs> so uh, you know i love music i listen to it uh, as much as possible and uh you know it's, it's some of it probably sank in you know wow thing is if you let it you know you don't have to be um you know you don't have to be playing all the time to, to take part in something you know hmm. stefan rapelli when he wasn't playing he'd just stand there and and look at his guys you know playing the music he, he never played backup or anything he just stopped playing uh so anyhow yeah it, yeah music there's t there's many aspects to it one is just technically learning your instrument, you know, just pure technique, how to, you know, where, where all the notes are and chords, whatever, you know. Then the, then the other thing is styles of music, you know. I really got into studying the style of bluegrass, which you can't get out of a book. I, I was able to study it because I got to work with some masters of bluegrass music and I paid attention. To what they were doing and wow. listen to them yeah yeah wow 
Well, and if you do that and and do it deep and hard enough, you you know you'll get somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it may not make you a living or anything, but yeah, you'll you'll learn, I guess. How often do you play? Well, I don't, I, uh, not as much as I should. I mostly, uh, well, I, I, I try to play every day a bit, but, you know, I don't play gigs really anymore. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I've been devoting uh, most of my time to making, uh, mining my archives and releasing projects one a month on Acoustic Disc. We should plug AcousticDisc.com. Totally. And it's all digital downloads, uh, but many of them are in high definition. They actually sound better than CDs, oh, and wow. uh, they're all the same price. Uh, I mean, the various qualities, you know. Uh, and so, uh, like, <clears throat> this next week, we're going to release a, a project of Roscoe Holcomb. You know who he is? apparently Roscoe Holcomb, uh, Eric Clapton said he, Roscoe Holcomb was his favorite, uh, country musician. Hmm. Uh, he was a coal, a, um, I think he was a coal miner. He was from Eastern Kentucky and was discovered around 1959. A man named John Cone, who played in a band called the new lost city ramblers, uh, made a record for folkways called mountain music of Kentucky. And this guy, Roscoe Holcomb, he passed away in 1980, I think around 82 or four. But uh, this is a live concert that was in my archives um, that no one's ever heard from 1972. Oh, wow. Well, I, so, I for yeah. one, I look forward to hearing that. And, and a lot Raw of country. Oh, wow. this guy is like very strong stuff. It's like a, a, a big a uh, glass of moonshine <laughs> well how many hours of unreleased music do you think you have in your collection oh well thousands but you know <laughs> and some of it should remain on <laughs> but uh uh you know it's uh i i i work on projects i've got books I, i've got four volumes of my original tunes and i'm working on two more and I wrote a, a mandolin column for a magazine called Frets in the 1980s. Largely, I wrote over 80 columns, and I put them into two books. And I keep busy. Wow. Yeah, well, hey, good. I, play, I still write tunes. I play them with my wife, Tracy, is a real good guitar player and bass player. And we have a friend, Danny Barnes, who comes over once a week and work on my tunes. And we just practice. I like practicing. I, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I never was really that into being on a stage. I mean, I, you know, it, I mean, it's good when people listen, and you know, finally they mostly listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you still record today? Yeah, I, I did some recording a couple of days ago. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, I'm working on different projects. I. Uh, I have a studio and, and uh, I get together with an engineer about once a week and I've got plenty for him to do. Wow. And, yeah. Well, well, it sounds like you're, you're keeping busy and, you know, thank you, David, so much for giving me some of your time today and let me talk to you. This has been a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, I have a, a son named Sam too. Hey, look at that.
got a band. You could Google them, Sam Grisman Project. Are you a Samuel or a Samson? I'm a Samuel. Oh, he's a Samson. Oh, would you look at that? Yeah, I guess they're... That, yeah, that's that was my father's name. Oh, wow. Well, Happy New Year, man. Yeah, hey, to you too. Bye. Goodbye. I'm Sam Pador, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with David Grisman, an amazing mandolin player. He played dog music, bluegrass. He did everything. He played a lot with Jerry Garcia. So if you enjoyed that interview, make sure to keep listening to My Back Pages. You can hear us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on our website, mybackpages.org, and pretty much any any streaming service out there. So if you enjoyed that interview, keep listening to My Back Pages to hear many great interviews just like this one.